Welcome to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast for another week. It's the podcast where we discuss and translate the latest musculoskeletal research to help you keep up to date and improve patient outcomes. I'm one of the hosts, Luke Perriton from Monash Uni Physio, and I'm joined by one of the other hosts of the MMRU podcast this week, Tim Travail. How are you going, Tim? Yeah, thanks, Luke. Happy to be here. So we've had a string of guests and we've had some really interesting episodes over the last um, month or two, and it's a bit of a breather episode, a chance for you and I um, to have a bit of a chat about the topic will be your PhD research, but also for those who are about to embark on the journey into a PhD, um, hopefully a little bit of insight into the challenges and the best parts of doing a PhD as well. Um, so why don't we start with a little bit of a summary for the listeners on you? Now, some listeners will be really familiar with you because you're quite well known on the musculoskeletal internet. You've got lots of followers on your YouTube channel. You've got, um, you're quite active on social media. But if people don't know you yet, um, can you give everyone a little bit of a summary of what you do and what you're working on at the moment and, and who you are? Yeah, thanks very much, Luke. Um, English born and bred, been been in Australia now for about 10 years. And Australia has been sort of fantastic for me, for my career and for my lifestyle and, and everything about the country I've just really sort of enjoyed so far. I've been really, really fortunate to to, to network and to find sort of groups like yourself and the Monash Musculoskeletal Unit to, to do some work with. So a little bit of background on me. I uh, undergrad back in 2007, did my honours degree in the UK um, and then came over here and completed some postgrad, did, did a master's in sports and exercise medicine, where I did a bit of research into load management and injury prevention in martial arts. So I've kind of uh, got a bit of that martial arts background, as I know you have, Luke, as well. So I, I definitely enjoy um, uh, beginner martial arts, perhaps. But beginner martial yeah, arts. But to, to karate for I, me, but for you, it's um, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, isn't it? Grappling. Yeah, that's the one. Brazilian yeah. Jiu-Jitsu. It's, uh, it's an addictive one. but um, And so I've done a little bit of sort of uh, secondary research in that area. And then uh, some, my full-time role, I work as the programme director at Torrens University in our physical health suite of courses. So overseeing undergraduate courses, really responsible for sort of the effective sort of management and, and running and really sort of positive student outcomes in those undergraduate programmes, which I, which I really kind of love. I've been involved in education um, pretty much since, since I graduated back in 2007 seven uh, in various different ways and um and I, I love those kind of educational leadership opportunities and um and around that then i've had my private practice work uh, sort of ongoingly through that time had a number of years working in rugby union um knocked that on the head just a couple of years ago when when i really realized that i needed to um follow a bit of my own research journey and my own research path so Still working in private practice, um, working with uh, with one of our colleagues, at, at Peter Maliaris, in, in his clinic there, and um, trying to fit uh, everything around around that. Really, trying to do everything, a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. So, and your work <laughs> and a lot is, of <laughs> yeah, and you, so your work, your primary training was uh, as a in myotherapy, and you've got so, yeah. Um, I actually, no, slightly different to that. In my actual undergraduate training in the UK, they've got a very different sort of health system in, in the fact that my undergraduate was a Bachelor of Health Science in Sports Therapy. So, that, so 
traditionally a lot of the physiotherapists go into into into, into hospital based systems, and a lot of the private practice or sports based opportunities are taken up by um, sports therapists and, and sports rehabilitators in the UK. So that was my undergraduate degree, but really there's there's so many so many more similarities than differences amongst all of these professions that uh, I think going over. And, and coming to a country like Australia that sports therapy wasn't even known, I could find my feet well enough in, in something like myotherapy and, and connect and have lots of sort of in common with physiotherapists and osteopaths and, and anyone with that sort of undergraduate health science degree. Um, I always say that at the point of graduation, there's quite clear differences between these professions, but depending on your own professional development and experience and, 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 and really how you develop as a practitioner and your areas of interest, it's very hard to pick us, you know, pick different practitioners apart five years post-grad. Um, oh, I couldn't agree more, especially you, you graduated from your Bachelor of Health Science in 2007 and I was earlier than that. So we've, we've done mm. so much since then that there should be a lot of crossover in and it's it's less relevant what your primary training was, but it's just interesting to see your pathway where you've come from and, and what you've done with it since then. So what about your PhD? So you, you're a PhD candidate, and that's with Peter Maliaris as a supervisor. Tell us a bit about your PhD in general and what, what you're up to. So working, uh, working at Torrens University in that sort of educational management position, so I, I was really um, – it always feels like there's a bit of a glass ceiling on your head, I suppose, and you, when you get to a certain point. And I think I felt like my educational experience was probably outweighing my formal qualifications. So that was probably one reason, if I'm honest. But I've, I've also, I didn't like the thought of not understanding research well enough to be able to come to my own conclusions. Um, yes, we, we sort of do a various bit in our undergraduates and our masters, but I, as an evidence-based practitioner, and we know that that evidence-based is, it should be a combination of your own clinical experience, which you develop over time, that are the, the best practice you know, patient wishes and, and thoughts and considerations, but also then with a with an understanding of the research and, and sort of taking us through that funnel. I, I just felt like I needed, I would be a better evidence-based practitioner if I understood research more. And, and as an experiential learner, I, I struggled to learn without really going through and chucking myself sort of into the deep end. So always always had an interest in doing it uh, and working clinically with Peter Maliaris was um, was definitely the, the, the support that I needed to really sort of push me in it and get started. So I am doing the PhD through through Torrens University, and I've got some fantastic uh, supervisors there in Professor Margie Hume and and Professor Justin Bilby, and then I'm supported. Um, very very fortunate to be supported by uh, Peter Maliaris and by Tim Gabbett as sort of external um, supervisors to the project. So, re really, Tim came on board um, uh, through a sort of uh, a connection and sort of spending a bit of bit of time with him and, um, and my interest in load management and physical activity in general um, and who better to have than, than you know Professor Tim Gabbett in that space um, the project's also looking at tendons and who better to have them than Peter Maliaris so I've, I'm really really fortunate to have a team like that um, I just got to hold up my end of the bargain now. So you it, it's um, it's good to see your background why you your motivation for coming into your PhD you wanted to understand research yourself and the fact that you needed to feel like you you need to experience what it was like to conduct the research to really understand it. And I'm sure that resonates with a lot of people. What about if we talk about your PhD projects? You've got a really, really good supervisory team. Um, what are you doing? What's your PhD all about? So 
my PhD, if I just take the, the title, and I didn't have a title for a while, but uh, going completing my confirmation last year, you know, you have to put a bit of a stamp on the top of it and submit your comp for your confirmation. And it's around, um, we're, we're calling it searching for the Goldilocks zone. Um, and, and more specifically, looking at the understanding how daily physical activity and persistent uh, greater trochanteric pain syndrome. So we're... Uh, <laughs> Personally, as, as a clinician, I get a bit of, a bit bored by the circular arguments about which treatment is better, um, X or Y, for a, for a certain condition. And, and that obviously has a lot of value. But I, I saw a gaps in really what the fundamental kind of questions around um, physical activity and, and, educa and patient education around physical activity. We often talk about patient education. We talk about load management. But there's very little out there to help us with guidance in how we can actually apply that to our patients. We have things like the 10% rule or we have um, statements like don't do too much too soon. But really, um, how do we have a good understanding of how physical activity impacts on the on the things that are important for people that are in persistent pain? So particularly for 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 tendon management, and, and that's an interest. It's been a clin clinical interest area of mine. Um, along with the load management, I really thought, well, we've got some key areas in tendon management that we want to look at and try to understand better in relation to changes in physical activity. And, and by those changes in physical activity, I'm really talking about more of a macro load management. So we, we have a reasonable understanding of micro load management. And when I say that, I'm talking about the specific um, positions or areas of compression that a tendon might go under. But really with the macro uh, load management, we're talking about looking at maybe differences between sort of chronic and acute loads, how changes in physical activities uh, impacts on people, depending on what they're used to. So we, we know people that are particularly have high exercise levels, might have a higher sort of chronic loads, greater resilience to be able to cope with changes in physical activity. Well, we say that we say we know we, we, it's a bit of a sort of presumption that that, 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 that is the case. So um we're taking a bit of a mixed methods approach to try and understand that as a problem of really what are the associations between that load management and and physical activity. Um, it's starting off with a systematic review where I'm looking in quite detail around some physical activity measures and some patient reported outcomes in pain, in quality of life, in disability and some functional measures. Uh, and we're also conducting um, the, the, well, we're just about finishing the data collection stage for some qualitative work, really trying to understand what a patient's perceptions are around, uh, the, around how physical activity influences um, those variables for them. Um, and then we will be going on to some interesting work in, in, uh, with some quantitative sort of data measurements of people's physical activity and tracking them over time and looking at interplay with, with pain. So lots to come. I'm, I'm excited to what's there, but that's a bit of a sort of summary of where we're up to. Now, it's a brilliant summary of it. That's a really interesting PhD. So we'll be looking forward to seeing all the papers coming out and being published. So tell the listeners what a mixed methods approach is. Well, so if they're yeah, not familiar yeah. with that. So we obviously, there's a number of different ways that we can look at a problem uh, and each of them have their their sort of various pros and cons. Uh, and two of, the, two of the most common ways that we sort of see uh, will be taking a quantitative or a qualitative approach. And, and a mixed methods means that I was first originally interested in mixed methods because I thought, well, 
as a, a PhD candidate, is really an apprenticeship, as I, as I keep being told by my supervisors. And and what better way of, of going through an apprenticeship of having a broad understanding uh, of various different types of methodologies to then know what I want to use in the future, uh, you know, post PhD to be a more effective researcher and clinician. So. Um, mixed methodology means that we're going to be um, looking at uh, a range of qualitative measures uh, and getting uh, an understanding from that perspective, but also bringing that in with the quantitative med- measures and looking more at the, the sort of the raw stats and bring it all together in one sort of PhD to get some conclusions and findings and next steps from there. Yeah, it definitely is an apprenticeship in research and beyond research, apprenticeship in yeah, academic skills and writing and all, all these you could broadly put them under yeah. research skills. But I do I think that's I think that's wise to think about rather than a goal being to finish and to find out specific things. Of course they're gonna be goals as well. You don't want to n- never well, finish your PhD. We, yeah. And yeah. you do want to find find out things, but to, to think about I, I want broad skills from this. It always makes me and, and I didn't necessarily come into this thinking I wanted these broad skills, but you you commonly see those memes of what what I think my PhD will look like, and it's some beautiful picture of a of a sort of eloquent horse or something, and then you see the back end of the PhD or what my PhD actually looked at, and it's completely different and scribbles everywhere and it's a it's a bit of a mess. So I thought, well, I've got to be realistic, and this is probably isn't gonna be as good as I would like it to be but i'm gonna come out with a good skill set that's going to give me good opportunities to take it where i want to in the future so just try to flip my mindset a little bit with that be a bit more of a sort of pragmatist and and come out with that kind of broader skills i suppose that's good advice for anyone who's considering a phd or currently doing one or or any form of research training or who is perhaps an early career researcher as well and it's a good segue to my next question which which is what are the challenges of doing a PhD from your perspective? And you could take this as broadly as you want. Um, there could be the challenges of your PhD or doing a PhD in your current busy stage of life. I think what aren't the challenges? Yeah, I think what aren't the challenges would be a quicker would be a quicker answer to this one. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I do have a young family now, fifteen months old. So um, fairly sort of early on in the PhD, you know, start a family and things and. Um, uh so yes there's some challenges around that i think i mean i'm doing a part-time phd very sort of purposefully um wanted to sort of work through this whilst uh, maintaining my clinical practice and and my main role which uh you know uh, means a lot to me so i think one of the biggest challenges is is when you're every phd is so different it's so different in expectations in timelines in um in what you probably need to put into it at different times and different variables. So it's challenge. It will always be challenging if you try and make comparisons to sort of other students that are sort of alongside you. So I, I try to try to make sure we, you know, it's the old adage of, you know, you're not racing against anyone else. So you, you're just trying to improve of from, from what, where you were yesterday. And if you're steps forward, then I'm kind of trying to be happy with that. But, you know, at times it's, it's really tough, like mentally when you feel like you're not moving, forward you were supposed to have a deadline for a, a, a piece of work or, or an outcome but there's there's so many things that you don't know and there's so many things that you don't know you don't know that just really are the biggest challenges for the phd i've always found those particularly a challenge to to know often what you need to ask of your supervisor when you when you don't when you're not when your unknowns are unknown is a 
is always been a big one for me. Um, yeah, I'd say they, they were the biggest challenges and just and just making sure we carve that time out. Um, and I, I tried to take it the best hour of my day every day to be towards the PhD. That was one of my sort of my old um, bosses gave me that advice was, was, you know, find that best time, best hour of the day. And then a, and then a number of hours over the weekend to sort of make up perhaps some of that shortfall, but making sure that we stick to that north star of what's important and 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 try not to get dragged too sideways sideways with too many things i get excited about new things in clinical practice or stuff that might be related to jiu-jitsu or grappling or that sort of clinical work and i know that it's just taking me a bit sideways instead of kind of moving forwards with it so trying to say no to things is a challenge um whilst you're also trying to you know open yourself up to as many opportunities and say yes to things because you're an apprentice um sometimes that can just uh, put you off track a little bit and, and slow things down so that's a challenge too and there'll be phases when you say more you'll say yes to more mm. things and other phases where you lock it down and focus on your data collection or your writing i think it's good to have these conversations and talk about the realistic or the realities of mm. what goes on people yeah. are yeah, currently having uh, doing a PhD themselves or considering doing it, this may be valuable to them. What are the um, best parts of doing a PhD? What do you really love about it, if any? I hope there's some best parts. <laughs> no, there's there's definitely uh, there's definitely a lot to love about it. I think um, I always enjoy getting out of my comfort zone, whether that's you know through training or through learning or all these sorts of things. And this has certainly been the the thing that's taken me out of my comfort zone from a cognitive perspective more than anything I've, I've done before. But I, I suppose that should be to be to be expected. Um, what have I, what else have I loved? Probably the, the networking. I've been really fortunate to have a, a, um, I didn't mention it earlier on, but, um, working with Pete and, um, he's, you know, I, as you know, I'm on as a, a adjunct uh, research associate position with, with Monash and that's just given me so many opportunities to network and to meet new people like yourself, Luke, I'm not sure we'll be working together unless I was doing a, a PhD and having these types of conversations. That's really just, uh, helping me in so many facets. So, Look, I, I, I love have my better understanding of research that I've already got. It's already far better than it was, you know, when I started this PhD. So um, lots of the, the benefits far outweigh the challenges, but the challenges are pretty tough sometimes, I must, I must say. Mm, well, there's so much more to it than the research projects you're doing, even though they are the foundation of what mm. you're doing. And you're trying to help people by conducting research. There's so much personal development that goes on, and, and the networking. That was a really good point. You, the skills that you're building, the broad skills, and also the the people skills, and the networks you make, uh, are really a big part of it. I couldn't agree more. Um, I reckon we've got Tim Travail Part Two up our sleeve at some stage. I, I think you've got to have study findings that are coming out. You've got a you've hit on a bunch of really interesting topics this is a general conversation for this week and we've had some very specific episodes on for the podcast let's do it again when once we've got some once you have some findings and you know perhaps the next stage of your research to talk That's about great. We're, not, we're not too far away so yeah we'd love to come back on um this side of the mic and uh, and have a chat about some a bit more of those details that'd be great yeah and um in the meantime you're all over the internet I sometimes ask this question, where can people find you online? Um, you could Google your name and your, your website comes up first. So timtravail.com. Um, Look, that's really, 
I mean, one of the things I think is uh, that I say to my students and I talk about sort of new PhD sort of people, let, like if, if we don't control the narrative about some ourselves, then someone else is going to. So what, so why not why not make it mm-hmm. easy for people to find you? Um, if we want to ha- our research to have impact, then I think online presence is, is just so critical these days. So, um, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, on that website, I've, I'm fortunate to have a slightly unique name, uh, surname in travail. So, you know, and there's not too many others doing something similar with that that name that pops up so um yeah on that on that website it just helps us to you know tell people what i'm doing i can sort of really easily get some information out there whether that's links to youtubes or instagrams or or or, you know my own podcast that i've been playing with then um yeah that's probably the easiest place to start so you've got the understanding sports and exercise medicine research podcast that's the one get it right um yeah, check it out. I, I'm, hey. I'm a couple of podcasts behind you. You've been tearing away with these, Luke, which I've been so impressed with. But uh, I just thought when I started my PhD, I was like, well, I want to talk to some people and learn about some topics. What's the easiest way to do that? Well, if I if I speak to some professor or some expert in a field, um, they're probably not going to speak to me. But if I say that I've got a podcast and can you listen, can you, can you um, jump on my podcast? And they're happy to have a chat. So I'm directing some of my own learnings, hopefully giving a bit of exposure to, to those people. And, and it, you know, it's worthwhile for them. But uh, that, that's how that started. And, uh, yeah, I've been enjoying mm. doing that since. And, and we'll be bringing that back to life a bit over the next few months. Yeah, and that's the exact motivation for for me and for the rest of the team here to have this podcast. It's a wonderful excuse to talk to interesting people from all around the world and then and also give our PhD students and early career researchers a chance to talk mm. about what they're doing. And there's there's all sorts of engaging ways you can do that from social media and infographics and everything, but a podcast is a very relaxed format. People generally go out for a walk, listen to it in their car, put the earbuds in. And- I don't think I listen to the radio anymore. I haven't listened to the radio in years. So um, podcasts are definitely yeah. a way forward with that. And we just have a nice conversation, mm. no phone distractions, no anything else. So I, um, it's a great format for me and I really enjoy either side of the mic that I'm on. So listeners, you can find Tim online. Uh, you can just Google his name. He's got a really interesting YouTube channel with a stack of um, clinical information on there. And you can also find his research profile and Torrens. Um, we'll talk to you again. Tim will be hosting, well, we hope, one of the next episodes, I hope. Um, we'll co-host. We're sharing the host of this podcast around. But look, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, if you're finding it helpful, what we'd like you to do is share it with someone who you think would find it interesting because it's actually quite hard to get new listeners onto podcasts. Um, you, you have to actually ask people to actively share the episodes and you rely on word of mouth and sharing. So every time you do that, that's really helpful in getting this out to other people who will hopefully find it really helpful as well. If you want to enjoy, join the conversation less directly, you can join in on Twitter, the Twitter handle at MonashMRU. Anything else to add, Tim? Should we wrap this thing up? I think that's wrap up. Thanks very much, Luke. Excellent, Tim. So until next time, this is Tim and Luke wishing you all the very best with your musculoskeletal research and clinical practice.